Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good afternoon, good to see you all. I'm glad for those who are joining us online as well. I'm glad you guys could check in and we're happy to see you. Um, We are kicking off a new series called Living the Dream. We're back in the book of Genesis and we're talking about the life of Joseph and this whole series, Living the Dream. Well, nine years ago, I was jobless and homeless and you could definitely say I was living the dream, right? Because everyone says that's the dream life when you have to move back in with your parents, with your pregnant wife and your two children, because you're not sure what life is going to be like uh, for you. And so, yeah, nothing's a success. Again, like moving in with your pregnant wife and your two kids into your parents' basement. But at that time, I was in between jobs, and there was a lot of uncertainty in our life. We weren't sure what exactly God was calling us to do, where he was calling us to be in ministry, in life. But as I look back on that time of uncertainty, I can see that my uncertainty was not evidence of God's inactivity. That even though I was uncertain, it didn't mean God wasn't working and moving behind the scenes. He was there the whole time, working and moving. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe there's some uncertainty in your life. Maybe there's some things you're just not sure about But even in your uncertainty, that's not evidence of God's inactivity. But here's the thing about uncertainty. Uncertainty leaves us confused as how to approach God. He seems so quiet. He seems so distant. It seems like he's not doing anything. Maybe this resonates with you. You you ask and you pray hard, God, please change the heart of my child. God, my, my, my son, my daughter has walked away from Jesus and I don't know why. Please, please, and it feels like no answer. Or you ask God for better work situation, things are just, it's stressful, it's hard, and nothing. You don't want to spend the rest of your life single, and yet you're just not sure. It seems like God is just not speaking. Maybe you don't want to spend the rest of your life with your spouse unless they change, and you're just feeling stuck, and you just don't know what to do. Well, I think When life is that way and and, and when things aren't going great, it's tempting to think that God isn't interested in the details of our lives. And that raises two questions, right? It's number one, it's what is God up to when he's so quiet, when we're not hearing from him, when it seems like he's so distant, and what are we to do in the meantime? What are we supposed to do when we're not sure what to do and it seems like God is being quiet? Well, I know in my life, in going through those times of uncertainty, of of asking God what is next, I can tell you, though, that God does his greatest, his most significant, and his deepest works in those times of uncertainty. Why is that? Well, we look back in our favorite Bible stories, your favorite Psalms, and the most comforting passages in scriptures. They were all birthed in times of incredible uncertainty, where people weren't sure what was going to happen next. God wasn't absent in those times of transition. He was more active than in other time. But these men and women's lives that we read about in the Bible, they were interrupted. The familiar, predictable things were ripped away. 
And I'm sure, no doubt, there's a sense of panic of, God, what are you doing in this situation? It seemed like God had fallen asleep at the wheel, and there's total chaos going on. But God showed up in all those stories that we love, in all those Bible verses that we cling to, in ways we're still talking about thousands of years later. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to encourage you to do that. That Number one, from God's perspective, uncertain times are opportunities to do something in us. That uncertain times are God's opportunities to do something in us. I think he can do more in us during times of uncertainty than he could ever do in just the normal nine to five, everything going the way it ought to be. Well, why is that? Because when our structures are shaken, when we move through transitions, he has our undivided attention. Because we have to call it to him. We have to lean on him. And when God has our undivided attention, we're positioned to grow like crazy. And suddenly what's important becomes the focus of our attention. It's then when God is all we have, we discover that's all we really need. Number two, from God's perspective, uncertainty creates opportunities to do something through us as well. Times of uncertainty, it's a great time for God to do something in us as we're forced to rely on him more, but also for him to do something through us. That our faith can inspire others around us as we continue to trust in him, as we continue to reach out to him, even when we're uncertain, even when we're unsure. But for God to do something great in us and through us, we have to respond correctly in these times of uncertainty. And during this series in the book of Genesis, we're, we're finishing up here. We're going to look at the story of this teenage boy who went from favorite son to slave to prison inmate to the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world. And throughout these 13 years of uncertainty, he's going to remain faithful. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis 37. We're going through like the whole chapter, so I chose not to put it up here on the slides. So if you brought your Bible, awesome. Otherwise, probably most of us have uh, smartphones on us, so you can open up the Bible app. If you don't even have the Bible app, download that. And while it's downloading, just Google Genesis 37, and that'll pop up. But as you're turning to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, we just join me in a word of prayer. God, I thank you that you are here in this place, and even in times of uncertainty, even when it seems like you're quiet or you're distant or we're just not sure what is next, God, we can trust that you are there. You are here working with us. So God, I pray that everyone tonight can leave with hearts encouraged, inspired. God, that whether we're living the dream or a nightmare, God, we would know that you love us, you see us, and God, you are working. In your name we pray, amen. Well, one of the big kind of theological ideas in this series is the doctrine of providence. I think a lot of times these kind of theological concepts can be hard for us to understand simply by reading about it, but when we see it in evidence in someone's life or in the life of someone in the Bible, it's going to make a whole lot more sense. And this idea of providence is that God is at work. He's ultimately going to work things out for his will, that he's in charge. He rules and reigns. And we see this lived out with really his two hands. God has both his visible hand and his invisible hand. As we've gone through the book of Genesis, we've seen his visible hand shows up. Abraham and Sarah praying for a baby for decades and decades. And what happens they're, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. God miraculously opens up the womb of Sarah. She gets pregnant long after the time when people are, are, are used to giving birth. 
and it's a miracle. He shows up. Or Isaac's going to sacrifice his son, and God shows up and, and blocks his hand, right? I, like, this is God's visible hand at work. He shows up and wrestles with Jacob. He tells Noah to build the ark. This is God's visible hand. We've seen this a lot in the first 36 chapters of Genesis. But also, his invisible hand is at work. He doesn't always show up in visible miracles. We see God is working behind the scenes, working. He's subtly and quietly working through this. We've talked about this when we've gone through as a church. We love books of the Bible. We've gone through the book of, of Ruth, the book of Esther. And in those books, like, we don't really see God at work or show up, but it's his providential, invisible hand that's working and shaping things behind. So now in the life of Joseph, that's what we're going to see a lot more. Joseph really gets like one kind of two dreams that we hear about now. But then as far as we know, he doesn't hear directly from God. He doesn't get any dreams for about about 20 years. And so through all these events in his lives, he's going to continue just trusting in God, even though he doesn't see the visible hand at work, but God's invisible hand is working behind it. And and so again, we've spent about eight months in the book of Genesis uh, and we've seen God's visible hand. We've covered about 3,600 years of history. And now the story is going to slow way down. The camera kind of pans in to the life of Joseph. It's going to focus on him. So again, to kind of review, Joseph's great-grandfather is Father Abraham. His grandfather is Isaac. And his daddy is Jacob. And this is what we've, we've gone through and said to this family. It's a pretty crazy, messed-up family for quite a few generations. But finally, a godly man comes but he's going to start off as kind of this spoiled rich kid who goes to Wyzetta High School. But eventually, he's going to straighten it out, and we're going to see God work through him. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. Uh, usually, I preach out of the ESV, but it's nice for these long uh, narrative passages. It's nice to be in a little bit more uh, modern translation. So if you're following along on your phones, I'm going to be in the NLT. Uh, Genesis 37, verse 2. This is the account of jo- Jacob and his family. So if you remember, Jacob, uh, he marries a pair of sisters, Right? That's kind of crazy. And then he marries, like, there are two servants as well. So he's got four wives. And, and remember how many kids he's got with those four wives? He's got 13 kids. Like, that's a lot. Like, when the Mormons show up at your door and they're like, dude, you have a lot of kids, you know you have a lot of kids, right? That's Jacob. He has a lot of kids. And Joseph is one of the youngest siblings here. Uh, 37 verse 2. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So we can see here, kind of young Joseph. He's a bit of a tattletale. There's always one of those siblings, right? He's always telling on him to mom. Uh, hey, you know, it's the little legalist in the house. You said a bad word, right? Like, this is Joseph right now. He's a bit of a tattletale. Uh, verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph way more than any of his other children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. This is the sin of favoritism. Jacob made the same mistake he saw his parents make. We learn about this. His daddy Isaac loved Jacob's brother Esau more, but Jacob's mom, Rachel, loved him more. Now Jacob is doing the same thing he saw his parents do. It's like, parents, we shouldn't do this. Even if we might find it easier to connect with one kid versus others, we need to love them the same. Uh, You know, if you give one kid a nickname, give them all a nickname, right? Figure out different ways to connect with your kids. What's best for this kid? What's best for that? 
Different kids are different. We have to treat them differently. Love them all, but don't play favorites. And Jacob, though, he's so obvious in his favoritism. He makes this beautiful robe, multicolored, basically says, like, dad loves me the best. And that's what Jacob, the young son, uh, is, is wearing around his brothers. And so what's the result of this? Genesis 37, verse 4. But his brothers hated jo- Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. We're going to see, though, God is going to elect Joseph for leadership. And, but people don't like that. And so they are really having like, negative feelings. They can't even say one kind thing about their brother. Verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about him, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down before me. This is what 10 older brothers want to hear from the youngest brother, right? You guys are all going to bow down to me. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed down low before me. This time he told them the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So in this dream now, he's like, yeah, the sun and the moon and all my stars. So dad, you and mom, you guys are going to bow down to me too. And dad's like, I don't like this, right? This is the young brother. Verse 12, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they'd been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I'll send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. So all the other brothers are are out working. They're in the fields. Where's Joseph? He's at home in his fur coat, just chilling with daddy, right? Everyone else is working. So now Jacob says, hey, go do a performance review on your older brothers. This is great, right? He says, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and give me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. It's about 14 miles away that Joseph's going to travel. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. Now, this is a huge question that shows up in the book of Genesis again and again. What are you seeking? What are you searching for? This is a good moment to pause. Why did you come here tonight? What are you seeking after? What are you searching for? I think God asks us that question on a regular basis What are you seeking? What are you searching for? My hope is you're going to discover that God wants to do some amazing things in you and through you. Joseph says, I'm looking for my brothers. Joseph replied, do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Like, things have escalated here. It's like, here's Joseph. This guy needs to die. This is the definition of a dysfunctional family. And it's going to be 10 older brothers against one. Younger brother, Benjamin's at home and their sister. So there's ever a kid who's going to get beat down. This is the kid, right? He says, here comes the dreamer, they said. They can't even say his name anymore. Like, right? It's just the dreamer. They can't even say Joseph. So come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, a wild animal's eaten him. 
Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben, he's the oldest son, heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. So like, all right, the older brother, he's a good guy, right? He's coming to rescue his little brother. Well, we kind of skipped over this, but if you read some previous chapters, Reuben, the older brother, got in trouble with his dad for sleeping with his dad's mistresses, right? So this is super dysfunctional, and uh, he's in trouble with his dad. Things are not good, and so he's trying to get back in his dad's good graces because he's kind of really messed things up. Like, this is, again, messed up family. So Reuben says, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Reuben's like, let's just rough him up a little bit, right? So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern, into this pit. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat... They looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders, if you have your Bible, underline that, taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. All right, here we're going to see God's hand of providence at work. Again, this is providential timing. These Ishmaelites, they show up. This is the other side of the family. If you remember back. Father Abraham, he's the great-grandfather. He got really tired of waiting on God's plans. And so instead, they took the housekeeper, Hagar, and his wife said, hey, sleep with her, see if you can have a child, and speed things along. So Abraham's like, sure, babe, whatever you want, I can do this for you. So he slept with their handmaiden, like the slave. Uh, she probably had no, didn't want anything to do with this, but she, she did it, he did it, and they had Ishmael. Well, then he's kicked out. So this is like their third, fourth cousins. But these Ishmaelites, they show up just in the nick of time. And I think it's pretty cool that, you know, this, this son was born out of sin. He wasn't supposed to happen. But God is going to use the descendants of these boys to save Joseph. I think it's just so cool to see God's providence. And he's even working out mistakes that we make for good. And then Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'll have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and the brothers agreed. So again, it kind of sounds kind of ethical, but he's basically like, if we kill him, we get nothing out of this. So if we sell him, we get some money in our pocket, right? He didn't get a conscience, he just got a profit. So he's thinking, uh, the story of Judah actually is one of my favorites. If you want to, community groups, talk a little bit more about that, because we're going to skip over a lot of his story. But he really goes from this failed patriarch, he's a miserable son, he's a no good son, he's a husband, he's, he's a terrible husband, he's a terrible dad, his two sons get stricken dead, he gets a second chance. It's a great story, it's a really good story. But anyways, you see here, he's the one saying, hey, let's sell him into slavery, uh, but his story arc is really great. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone. What do I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's blood robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? All right, so now this is the great cover-up. And throughout Genesis, what we're going to see is that when people sin, they try to cover it up. When Adam and Eve sinned first in the garden and they were nakedness, their shame was exposed, what did they try to do instantly? To cover it up. When Cain killed his brother Abel, what does he do? He 
buries his brother's body in there. He tries to cover it up. It's the same with us. When we sin, we have two options. We can try to cover it up, or we can repent. But we need to know this, that if you continue, if you choose to sin, you're going to continue to sin to keep covering it up. But always, the sin of concealment is way worse than the pain of confession. I think oftentimes we want to try to cover things up and just say, hey, if I came clean with this, that's going to be so horrible. What are people going to think? What is my spouse going to think? What is my best friend going to think? But the truth is, the sin of concealment is always going to be way worse. Because things are going to come to light. It's going to eat you up. You're going to continue sinning. The best thing to do is try to bring it to light as quickly as possible. To confess and say, God, you know what? I've messed up. To confess to a friend, hey, I'm really struggling in this area. When we keep trying to cover up our secret sins, that's so much worse than the pain, than the pain we're going to go through of confession. Let's go on. Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So right when it seems like Joseph's going to be written out of the story of Genesis, we get this little clue. He's been sold into the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar is a powerful man. And this sets up for what's going to happen next uh, in the book of, of, of the Bible uh, of Exodus. Right? So he, Joseph now is going down to Egypt and he's being sold into slavery into this powerful house. But God's got him. And God's going to continue to be with him. In eight months of studying the book of Genesis, uh, one of the themes we've seen again and again is that brothers and family have been fighting each other basically for all of Genesis. We saw this at first with Cain and Abel and, 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 you know, and, and uh, Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Ishmael. And again and again, they're fighting. Cain kills Abel. Ishmael's thrown out of the camp when Isaac is born. Jacob steals Esau's blessing and then his birthright. And, and in four verses in this chapter, we're told uh, how, how much Joseph's siblings hate him. But there's something really great in here that's so easy to miss uh, back in verse 14. When Jacob sends Joseph out in verse 14, he says, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and their flocks. Now, we don't do this a lot. If you go back to the Hebrew that is written here, the word there is, Go and see to the shalom of your brothers. That's shalom, I have it tattooed on my wrist. Um, Direct translation is peace, but it's so much more than that. It's peace with God, it's peace with others, it's peace with nature, it's like returning back to Eden. Uh, It's not just like there's no hostility, it's also saying like goodwill towards you, flourishing. That's what really what this idea of shalom means. It's the way we're created to be in the Garden of Eden, that one day when God comes back and heaven comes to earth, he'll bring his shalom to all of the earth. We'll be in perfect peace with God, each other, creation. Like that's the idea of shalom. So Jacob says, hey, go see to the shalom of your brothers who, by the way, they hate you. So a father sending his most beloved son to see to the well-being of his brothers. 
into harm's way. Does that sound familiar? Again, this is a picture pointing to Jesus, who the one and only son of Father God, who sent his son to seek to the peace and well-being of all of us into harm's way. I think that's beautiful. It's the first time, really, we see a brother seeking the shalom of his other brothers. And in verse 16, the stranger asks Joseph, what is he seeking? And when Joseph says, I'm seeking the shalom of my brothers, it's huge for the people of God. Finally, a brother is seeking the shalom of his brother instead of killing him, stealing from him, running away from him. And the result of this is Joseph's going to be beaten, thrown into a cistern, sold off into slavery, but ultimately the world's going to be saved through Joseph. What a beautiful picture, again, of, of what was to come. This is pointing to the gospel. Maybe this evening you identify with Joseph. Uh, Joseph's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and there's been seasons where, man, I can identify so much with him. Number one, uh, going through times of just great uncertainty. Uh, Joseph was dragged as a slave, probably handcuffed behind his back, uh, you know, all the way from Israel down to Egypt, hundreds of miles. And I'm sure that whole time as he's tripping, as he's falling, he's, he's thinking, where is my God? What is going to happen? Uh, and through so much of his life, there's so much uncertainty. And so maybe that's where you resonate, of just like, man, I don't know what's going on. Joseph, yeah, maybe he's a little bit of a tattletale. Uh, maybe he flaunted his dreams. Was that worthy of being beaten, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery? Absolutely not, right? And again and again, we're going to see in Joseph's stories that he's falsely accused, that he's, people speak ill of him, they make up stories about him, and, and, and he goes from bad to worse before finally being vindicated. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you can identify with that and be like, man, I've had close people to me like say things about me that aren't true that, that that question my motives and i just feel like like people are lying about me maybe you can identify it with joseph in that way but maybe today you identify more with the brothers maybe there's someone in your life that you see them come in you can't even call them by name hey there's that dreamer there's that guy man i wish he would just go away i want to kill him and maybe you haven't wanted to admit that. There's someone in your life that you've just got this hostility towards. You've got this tension towards. I believe God wants you to seek the shalom of your brother, of your sister, to, to make things right. Uncertainty is a fact of life. We're all going to go through these seasons if it's not evidence of God's inactivity. And what looks like disappointment might be God's destiny for you in disguise. That what it seems like, man, I really thought this person was uh, the spouse I was supposed to be with. That God's going to lead you to someone else. That I thought this was the job that God had for me. And this disappointment, though, is going to be led you to where he ultimately wants you to be. That this thing I, I was holding on to and, and it's taken away from me, now it's next. Ultimately, that's a setup for God wants to do in you. So your heavenly father is a master of uncertainty. He does this all the time to show that he's in control, that he has something for you. And so if you identify more with Joseph in that time of uncertainty or hurt or pain, trust that he's still with you, even in the hurt, even in the pain. And even in the uncertainty, you can continue to trust him and follow him. 
But again, maybe you identify more with the older brothers. And maybe there's some conflict there that you have. Maybe it's a spouse, a family member, a friend. I want to tell you, deal with that conflict. Don't let it fester and get worse and worse. My guess is these brothers didn't always want to kill Joseph. At one point, he was a cute little baby boy, and they doted on him maybe. But then more and more, as, as it became clear that he was dad's favorite, and then Joseph grew up, they didn't deal with this. And the dad didn't do a good job. Like, the dad exasperated the situation, right? He should have been like, no, hey, let's, let's, let's work this out, this tension. And so it's easy to let kind of family conflict just fester. But truly, I believe that dark things grow in the dark, unhealthy things. And so you got to bring it to light. Bring it to Jesus. Like, work things out. And here's the thing. I know we're all different family of origins, right? Some families, they yell, they shout, they work it out, right? And, and then it's, it's done, some families you grow up in, and it's like, we never talk about conflict. Just shove it aside, and, and you don't want to deal with that. But I believe there's some healthy ways to deal with this. And, and there's some great resources out there. If you want some help in that, I'd love to talk with you and point you in some of those directions. The important principle, though, is don't let things fester. Work it out. Deal with it. Don't let hidden resentment fester. Uh, you know, Jesus tells us that if you have a problem with your brother or sister and you're at the altar, like, like go to that person first, leave behind your, your sacrifice. If we're going to be a healthy church, like in relationship with one another, like we have to live this out. Matthew 18 tells us that like, if you have an issue with your brother, go first to your brother and talk to them about it. And if you still have some division, bring someone else along with you to work it out. Like, this is so important. Like, this is in our partnership agreement. Like, if I'm going to be a Mosaic partner, I'm going to live this out, right? Because we believe so strongly in this. Because we've seen, all of us, I'm sure, churches ripped apart because of, of hidden resentment, things that are there. And they're like, no, 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 I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk about it. That may hurt, but it's the best thing. It's to, to bring it to light. So whatever uncertainty you're facing, whatever conflict you're facing, you can trust in the beloved son who is sent to see to the well-being of his brothers, that Jesus is the truer and better Joseph. Instead of just being thrown into a pit, Jesus, God's beloved son, actually died for us so that we could experience the shalom of God, the peace, the flourishment of God. In this next couple of weeks, we're going to see how the world was saved through Joseph in the same way God sent Jesus into the world, not to condemn it, but to save the whole world. So I want to encourage you, whether life is like a dream or a nightmare, that you lean in to God. Don't lean back. In times of uncertainty, go to him. You know, lean into your community groups. Share, hey, I'm in a season of uncertainty. I don't know what's next. Like, we're, we're, we need to do life together with this. And if there's some conflict, like, work, work it out. Find someone trusted to say, hey, there's this thing between us. Can we talk about this? Can we sit down and work it out? I believe that's what God wants for us. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite the band to come up uh, to lead us in one closing song. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that even in times of uncertainty, God, you are not uncertain. 
and you still have the whole world in your hands. So God, I pray right now that each and every one of us, uh, as we face any bit of uncertainty in our lives, God, we would continue to trust you, to trust that even though you may seem quiet, it doesn't mean you're not still working in us. God, I pray that if there's some conflict in our lives with a family member, with a friend, with, with someone, God, you'd give us the wisdom and the grace to step into that, to resolve it so it doesn't get to the point where we want to kill someone or sell them off into slavery. God, I pray just this week for our community groups, God, for our men's group starting tomorrow night, uh, that it would just be a wonderful time for guys to connect, uh, for our Tuesday night group in Champlain at the Anderson's house, God, that it would just be a time of flourishment, and Wednesday nights in Brooklyn Park, and Thursday night in Maple Grove, and um, our men's Bible study, and women's Bible study, just got all these opportunities to connect outside of Sunday afternoons. God, I pray that, that we'd make time for it, that it would be a priority, and God, that we would be able to share We'd be able to encourage and laugh together and also confess when there's times when we mess up or, or, or mistakes we're making or whatever it might be, God. God, we, we, we trust in Jesus, the son who went to the cross for us so that we could be made right with you. And I just pray right now, if there's anyone who uh, doesn't feel like they've been made right with God, that they could know, they could put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, they can confess that you are Lord and they can exchange their sin and their shame and guilt, give it to you and in exchange receive forgiveness and grace and adoption into your family. Lord, I pray that we would be messengers of shalom, that we'd be bringers of peace wherever we go, that we'd seek to the peace of our neighbors and our friends and as we're at work and as we're uh, doing theater and sports and all these things, God, God, that we just bring your peace with us. We'd bring your blessing with us, whatever the future looks like. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand, and we're gonna sing this last song together. Um, again, I wanna encourage you, uh, if you have those connection cards, drop them off in the back. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, if you want any information about um, whatever's going on, uh, and then prayer requests as well, we email those out, and uh, we are... The last year or so, we did like uh, Wednesday morning prayer time kind of for our church, um, uh, 8 to 9, I think, yeah, uh, a.m. But we're looking at some different times. So if that's something you're interested in, um, and join us for a weekly time of prayer as we just pray for the needs of our church. We're looking at Tuesday right now, but it's kind of open. Let me know. And again, we're still trying to figure out what's the best time that will work for the most amount of people. Um, uh, so, so yeah, again, if that's something you're interested in, like, hey, yeah, I'd like to join with just a handful of people from Mosaic and just pray on a regular basis. Um, would love to talk to you about that. Uh, but may you know that Jesus loves you so, so much uh, that he went to the cross for you. He died for you so that you could be made right with God. Uh, and whatever uncertainty you're going through, uh, let it be known that God is with you through that. Uh, let's sing this last song together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.